When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogel, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions for you. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the other Jeff in this radio program. That would be Jeff Vogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Hey, Jeff, how's the weekend treating you? So far, so good. How about you? Oh, it's uh, absolutely fantastic. Love this time of the year. We've got some college football going on. Of course, the pros are still at it a little bit. We've got Super Bowl coming up, basketball season going on, and before you know it, spring training's going to be here. So, hey, there's a lot to watch on TV. Well, let's dive into what's happening right now in the market and the economy. I think most people uh, tune into this program for that. I understand that the uh, S&P 500, uh, the first five trading days, uh, might indicate a full year performance, and that does not bode well for stocks in 2024. What do you make of that? Well, you know, it's always the it depends answer. You know, if you go by history and you look at the odds, the odds are in your favor that it's going to indicate just based on the fact that about three quarters of the last 20 or 30 years have been, uh, you know, negative or positive, depending on the first few days. We also have to realize that we had a, a really an over exuberant buying pattern over the last couple of months of last year, partly fueled, well, actually like like throwing gas on the fire when uh, Fed chairman said, oh, we're not going to only pause. We're definitely going to, I mean, it's made it sound to everybody like we're definitely going to lower interest rates next year, even though inflation is not in check yet. And assuming the only way to that path would be a slowing economy, because that's really the only way we keep that inflation down. And we also, uh, you know, have the reason to lower those interest rates. The market bought into that. And so, you know, maybe it overbought into that. So the fact that we have a sell-off now is not unexpected at all, because uh, two things. One is people have made a lot of profits. They didn't want to pay taxes on those profits last year, so they waited to sell till this year. So now they can, you know, have till the end of the year to either make money, lose money, or offset their tax gains by uh, cashing in some stock. You know, some people did it before the end of the year, like Mark Zuckerberg, half a billion dollars in his own stock, which also makes me wonder if the stock market's going to continue to be really strong. If it isn't overbought, maybe out of whack valuation-wise, why would he be selling that kind of stock and be willing to pay taxes, probably $150,000 in taxes on the sale of his stock? So there's a lot of things that do support the idea that, you know, maybe we are going to, you know, have kind of a soft 2024. We ended with a bang last year. In my opinion, it's unsupported. Uh, Fundamentals are finally starting to return. There's a whole bunch of things in my head right now, but and as you know, I kind of have ADHD and chase them all, but I'll try to uh, kind of capsulize what I think about the market, what I think about, you know, what's happening right now. A little bit is, yeah, kind of the day of reckonings come like, wait a minute, did we just overbuy these stocks? Is the Fed really going to lower? I mean, we've priced in three to seven rate decreases over the next year. The only way we get that, in my opinion, is a horrible recession, a hard landing, which not too many people are still in that camp. They think, well, maybe a soft landing, that's kind of the consensus. And then there's some people who say, hey, we're not going to have any landing at all. Look at the economy. You know, the average wages are up. Unemployment is still low. We've created more jobs than expected. But wait a minute. If we've done all that, then why in the world? I mean, those are inflationary pressures. So if we're going to create more pressure on the inflation that just barely ticked down under the three range, 
And that's going to push the inflation numbers probably above that three range again. We're not at the two level that really makes sense to start managing the interest rates by dropping them. And I don't understand why they would drop them. If the Fed wants the inflation rate to go to 2%, why don't we wait till it gets a little closer? I guess they think it's going to continually just kind of magically through momentum hit that two range. And it may, and I think their pause was not unwarranted. I think their pause was probably smart. It had gone up enough to you know, curb a lot of those inflationary pressures. However, on the whole, the economy looks pretty decent. One of the things that I really was baffled by last year is most of the year, companies were turning in lower and lower earnings. In fact, from the, even the prior year when the market was crashing, earnings from uh, the first three quarters of last year, by and large, were less or down from the year before. So just in this last quarter, did we get earnings that kind of turned the corner? So now we have fundamentals that are supporting a growing market, but we've already priced in like a 20% growth in earnings next year. And this last year, I just read it in Barron's that uh, this last year, the earnings increases were only like 0.08% or an eighth of a percent, not even 1% growth in earnings year over year, yet the market you know booms 20 to 30% more on the NASDAQ. If you look at the overall rate of return in, in stock values, they're already pricing in a 20 to 30% increase in earnings next year. I see that being very tough. I see especially those overvalued stocks and the big caps, the Magnificent Seven that pulled most of the weight on those indexes last year. I mean, up through November, uh, seven stocks were the sum total of all of the gains in the S&P 500. And only in the last couple of months, when we saw earning trends uh, start turning up and we got the good news that Powell was going to lower interest rates, even though none of the other people in the Fed Open Market Committee, the FOMC, the meetings they have, they have a, they have a group of advisors. A lot of them are um, chairman of different departments of the Fed or Treasury or governing body of basically what to do with the economy. Nobody besides Chairman Powell actually have said, oh yeah, we're planning on lower him. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Most of them have quickly replied right after he made that comment in November or December, I guess it was, that no, we haven't even talked in the Federal Open Market Committee about lowering the rates. We're still on pause and we're still kind of in a wait and see mode. So I think the market is going to be rocked probably in uh, the March timeframe when the Fed says, hey, you know what? The economy's still going at a pretty good clip. Inflation is ticking up, not down. Uh, we've got uh, more people working and more people making more money than we did before. And we're going to continue this restrictive monetary policy by selling assets, in other words, buying, taking money out of the economy to be a little bit more and more restrictive. And as that happens, you know, then maybe we'll create this recession that we need to have in order to justify those rate decreases. So there's a couple of camps. We're going to have a great economy. Well, if that's the case, then interest rates are going to go up and the market's not going to do well. If the economy does well, the market's going to go back to probably normal or reasonable values. If the economy has a recession and sells off, we know earnings and all those uh, fundamental situations that we're betting on next year aren't going to happen, and the market will crash again. If we have a soft landing, maybe we can kind of weather the storm and have kind of an even market, but there's either going to be a big decline or maybe a moderate increase, maybe 0 to 5%, maybe 10% on the year. I think we're so overvalued. Even with the best of circumstances, a good economy and federal rate decreases, I don't see the market being our best play this year just because the market has been so overvalued and really unprecedented. So, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Not unprecedented. Just lately it has. Not, it's out of whack uh, valuation-wise because they're using forward-looking earnings, price-earnings ratios, not what they're doing currently or what they've done from last year to now, what the trend is, and it's just finally turning back up. They're basing it on these outrageous estimates of earnings growth next year and pricing in the uh, six or seven different rate decreases by the Fed, which I just cannot see happening. I can see maybe a few, but then inflation will turn back on and then they'll have to go the other way and probably raise it. In fact, 
some of the people that I trust the most that I read on a regular basis are saying, expect more rate hikes next year than rate decreases. We may Mm -hmm. have a few rate decreases, but it's going to basically be like snapping the rubber band the other way. And then we'll have to have some uh, rate increases in order to fix a problem. I do believe that as we get closer to the election, the market will probably stabilize. And so whatever trouble we have this year will probably mostly be between now and say summertime. It looks like we've pushed off this recessionary pressure with all the good news. We have earnings coming in soon. And uh, if we look forward to the March meeting between now and then, you know, I don't think there's a lot of recessionary or pullback red lights flashing right now. I think, you know, we can probably dabble in some of those undervalued sectors of the market, like the low caps or the dividend stocks that really haven't, you know, had all the momentum that the uh, larger cap, you know, Magnificent Seven and those uh, S&P notable stocks have. So I think there's still some ways to make a little bit of money and, you know, take advantage of maybe the next month or two that we're in the market and kind of ride the end of this wave out. But uh, I don't think by the end of the year, you know, we're going to have any type of a gain like we did last year. And keep in mind, last year's big gains were just making up the difference, getting almost back to even from where we were losing the year before. So if you look at the last two years, we're still break even or worse, even on those Magnificent Seven, if you just look at what they've done to the indexes, we're still around break even for the last couple of years, and next year might be a chop a year. So you might end up making almost zero in three years in the stock market if you ride the whole thing out. I love the fact that bonds, short-term bonds, are still paying five-ish. 10-year bond rate just recently went back up above four. That's good. That actually means bonds are coming back down in price. Maybe be a great buying opportunity after this, you know, the end of this rally, uh, the beginning of this year plays out. So I don't know that first few days in January are going to affect us between now and March so much, but I think over the course of the year, just because there's probably going to be have have some reckoning in between now and the election time or in between, let's say, March when they decide not to lower interest rates. And I kind of feel in my gut that that's going to happen. They're going to say, no, we're just going to keep it on pause for a while. The economy's still doing good. Uh, we'll look at those rate cuts later. And uh, they might save up all those rate cuts for right before the election. So the party in power can you know, look really good and we can have this big, robust return on the market, kind of like what we did the last couple of years. Maybe the beginning of the year, we do okay for a couple months, then we have a sell-off through summer, and then all of a sudden they lower interest rates a bunch of times and we have this return to a good market. And maybe at the end of the year, we end up somewhere around break-even or a little bit lower. So maybe this January, first few days of January will actually play out according to history. But again, you know, a fourth of the time, roughly, it doesn't match historicals. So, uh, you know, you can always use this, uh, the old adage, this time is different, being the most dangerous words in market language, because typically trends continue to repeat. Well, the trends do repeat, but this is one of those that doesn't repeat all the time. The things that do repeat all the time are economic indicators down more than 12 months in a row like we already had. Recessions usually happen within two years. We have the yield curve inversion, which happened June of last year, not June, well, June of two years ago, which means we're about 18 months into that process where it has so far 100% of the time ended with a recession within two years. So we still have six months to for that Those two stats, along with others, there's about six different metrics that we can use that end in recession within a two-year period, a two-year window. So we've still got six months to see this whole thing play out. I don't like to be a pessimist. I like to be an optimist, but I'm uh, cautiously optimistic. Right now, I think maybe we can dabble in some of these undervalued or forgotten sectors in the market. But I, I don't think that if you have a goal to protect all your assets or you don't have the gut to ride a choppy roller coaster ride market out this year, then maybe you ought to just be happy with a nice 5 or 6% rate of return and maybe even some growth on some bonds as they become a little bit more popular as the market sells off in whatever comes of this 
corrective period, either a mild recession or just you know, repricing of assets due to the fact that the Fed's really not going to lower interest rates seven times this year. And I'm not positive that's going to happen, but the only reason they're going to lower interest rates that many times is if the economy gets soft enough and if inflation gets low enough. And right now, we're not seeing anything that indicates that. We're seeing the opposite. So again, there's a lot of disconnect between what the Fed says and what the Fed does lately. It used to be that whatever they said they did, and you better go along with it. The Fed, you know, be in line with the Fed and you'll be okay. But now they're saying different things than seems like logically will happen or can happen. So be careful. This is a time of uh, caution. Most of the big market gurus and uh, market makers are seem a little bit tentative to make any predictions about this uh, next year. So inflation right now, as we speak, Jeff, is around 3.1%, and the takeaway is to proceed cautiously. We're talking with Jeff Logan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management right here in Tucson. Our telephone number, 520-780-9059. If you'd like to get in and sit down and talk with Jeff about your individual situation, maybe ask your individual questions about the market, the economy, and how you should proceed in this coming year. 520-780-9059 is the number to call. No cost, no obligation for this consultation. It'll only take about an hour or so, but it could be the best time investment that you will make all year. As I said, no obligation for this whatsoever, just a chance for you to ask your questions. 520-780-9059. You can also request your retirement roadmap online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, just a moment ago, we were talking about the market and still the fact that we're not out of the woods yet. And if I heard you correctly, I think the advice was to proceed cautiously. What are some of the safe money strategies that people might want to consider if they're not ready to jump back into the market just yet? Well, I think with liquid money, if you have money in a bank, I mean, look for the best CD rate for, you know, three to six or nine months. You're going to get uh, probably in the four range or so. Uh, you might get a high interest, uh, high yield uh, interest bank account or savings account. That's for your bank money, for the quick and easy, I got to have liquidity money. If, however, you're kind of waiting for this market to shake out or see if or when this uh, recession that uh, about half the people out there, half, half the people I trust out there are kind of in the camp of bad recession and uh, hard landing. And there's a few of them that are in uh, the uh, camp of, you know, great guns ahead, the economy's good. And, you know, we're not really going to see, we're going to see, you know, earnings support continued uh, growth, especially now that they're looking at, you know, future earnings as the price earnings ratio that is the one we're supposed to use now, which didn't used to be the case. So in other words, now it's okay to buy stock at next year's price now and overpay rather than buy it at what it really should be valued now based on earnings, growth trends, uh, book value, and other things that that, uh, you would look at for fundamental reasons to buy a stock. So given that, to not be in stocks, you want more safety because you you really don't like overbuying things. What do you do with your market money? Well, one way is take advantage of a 5% bond rate on short-term bonds. It's liquid. You can kind of wait till that market shakes out. We see what happens and then maybe buy in at a better time when it seems more logical when stock price is a little bit more fairly valued and the trend re- returns to uptrend, which you know it has been. It just hasn't been fairly valued and the fundamentals haven't until recently supported uh, getting in the market. But now I think those fundamentals may have come around a little bit too late and we have to be really optimistic. So take advantage of the bond market short term. Uh, you want to take advantage of the long term bond market if there is a recession or if it looks like there's going to be a sell off in the market because most of that market money just goes into bonds, which means they buy bonds 
and price them higher, which means the interest rates actually go down. But so what if a 4% bond portfolio of 10-year bonds, if it goes down to 3%, maybe you make 8 or 10% on your money just in the value of those bonds. So you can sell out, lock in those profits, and then again, go back in the market next year or the year after when the market seems to be a little bit more stable and more fairly valued. The other thing I always talk about, not always, but I talk very frequently about it, are indexed annuities or indexed LERPs, life insurance retirement plans that uh, utilize insured money where you don't risk any of your principal. And then the insurance company will invest your interest in options on different markets. Because the volatility in the market and the roller coaster ride we've seen in the stock market has been, you know, kind of crazy the last few years, options, in other words, what an option is, for those of you who aren't really sure what I'm talking about, is an option is, let's say you, you don't want to spend $100 on the S&P 500 because you're scared that it'll go down 50% and it could be worth only $50 next year. And uh, you're really cautious. But you say, you know what, I really want the upside for $3, I can bet on the S&P 500. And if it goes up, I have the right to buy it next year at $100. Now, why would somebody sell you that option? Well, because they have $100 worth of the S&P 500 and they want to make sure that no matter what happens, that they're going to make 3% on their money. Because if they think the market's going up and they sell you that option, well, you're cashing in, but they at least get 3%. If the market goes down, well, they still made 3% and it offset some of the losses, right? So uh, there are reasons that institutions and individuals actually will sell you that right to play a market without investing in the whole thing. So let's say if the market goes up 20% and you can buy it at 100 and sell it for 20, you paid three for the option, you make 17% with only 3% risk. If the market crashes, hey, you only lose 3%, not 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. So that's why options are a way for individuals to play the hedge game, for institutions to play the hedge game and insurance to do that. What the insurance company will do is they'll take the interest they make on your money. Let's say you put it in an insurance company, they invest at 4%, which is about the 10-year bond yield right now, and they're going to invest it and save money. They make 4%, so maybe they'll buy an option on the uh, S&P 500 for your three bucks. And if the market goes up, maybe they can give you six or seven or 8% of that if the market goes up. But if the market goes down, eh, they're going to lose the three or 4% that they had to invest in the market. There are other indexes that they use that are not S&P 500. I use that one because everybody knows what the S&P 500 is. There are indexes of indexes that are a lot less I guess market have a lot less beta to the market, a lot less correlation because what happens with the stock market is because people are hedging more and more. Now that $3 that used to buy 100% of the stock market, that $3 only buys maybe 20 or 30% of the stock market upside. If you spent three on it, the market goes up 20 and uh, you only get 20% of that. You're only making 4% and you spent three for it. So the S&P options can get pricey sometimes, and you may not be able to make good returns on an index annuity that follows the S&P 500 because it's so popular. So these companies have come up with these really cool indexes of indexes that rotate into different sectors of the market. They may be in the S&P on a big level. It's like a pie. The pieces of the pie grow with the sectors that are doing better, and they reduce when the sectors are doing worse. Could be eight or nine or 10 sectors in the uh, of indexes. Could be foreign currencies, could be commodities, could be gold and silver, could be S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, could be a lot of things. And every index is built with some sort of a rule of when to rotate into the different sectors. It's called multi-sector indexes. So if you get those, because institutions are typically the only ones that know about them or use them or create them for themselves, is they can invest in these indexes that might only average four or 5%. So they're not really attractive for the average investor to go buy an index that only makes five or six when the stock market averages eight to 10, right, over long term. But these indexes, you can actually buy sometimes 200% or even almost 300% of the index upside because it costs a lot less 
to bet on a really stable index. So let's say you're three or 4% that the insurance company is able to invest, can invest in something that averages five and you get 3% of that. So that's 15. And let's say that their margin is 1%. So the insurance company wants to earn a little bit. They take 1% and you can get 14. Yeah, that's seriously the upside of some of these indexes of indexes. Unfortunately, the last couple of years, the only thing that's actually been making money is the stock market. And since these indexes of indexes only have a portion of it in the stock market and all the other commodities and all the other economic associated sectors of the market haven't really performed or have gone down in value, they've offset the gains in the uh, upside of the market. So they've been fairly flat lately. That doesn't mean they're going to be flat over a course of a person's retirement lifetime. In fact, over the course of your retirement lifetime, a few decades, you're going to see that these things can average a really good rate of return compared to what a balanced fund would offer only without any of the volatility aspects. You know, when the market went down two years ago, none of these account holders lost money. When the account grew last year, they might've made a couple points. They didn't make a lot, but guess what? In two years, you're actually up and you didn't have the gut ache of riding the market all the way down and all the way back up. And if you did take money out of these accounts because you needed to live on for the last couple of years, you're at least taking out based on your basis or what you paid for it, not locking in losses because you had to use money while the market was down. So as far as a safe alternative, there are index related products that are safe that don't hurt you when the market's really weird, like it is right now, kind of going up, going down. You know, most tactical managers that try to time the market are doing horrible because the market's bobbing and weaving and bending and changing direction, you know, for irrational reasons now. And if you chase the trend, you're always chasing late. You're getting in late, you're getting out late, and you're just not going to do that well. If you have one of these indexed products, it does it for you. It's just an algorithm base that it kind of rotates in and out. And guess what? If the algorithm doesn't work one year, you don't, you don't lose money. Whereas if you guess wrong, you could lock in some bad losses. And even some of the best managers out there that did really well the last decade or so uh, haven't done that well in the last couple of years. It's been tough. And so more and more of my clients are looking to, how can we have upside that has a potential to, you know, beat a CD or beat a short-term bond that will probably play four or 5% for another year or two, and then probably go down below that. How can we make better than 5% or something that, you know, at least gives us a chance to do that without taking risk? Well, those index products will allow you to do that. Insurance companies have answered the call to do that. They invest your principal in safe laddered bond portfolios that are uh, safe. They know what interest they're going to make on your money for the rest of your contract life in these products. And, you know, they can invest the uh, interest that they make and that's all they risk. And they risk it on your behalf at economies of scale that you and I can't get, but they can. So they can invest in these options with leverage and make you a lot more than you and I can do trying to, you know, bet on ETFs that are more stable or mutual funds that are balanced or just trying to time the market or just parking your money in a CD because you're scared to lose money. You can also have kind of the best of both worlds. If you're scared to lose money, these products won't lose you money. And if you want upside, the upside will be there over time when the upside and when those conditions weren't. And those conditions never stay bad forever. They always come back. Just like we know the market always comes back. It's just a matter of time. Well, if you're, as long as you're not losing money while we're waiting for the market and those index sectors to come back, you'll be okay. That's Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson. And also up in Mesa, we've been talking about the economy, sort of a reality check about where things are going and what we can expect. If you like what Jeff has been talking about, it's quite obvious that he has a lot of knowledge and experience. If you want to put that to work for you, we are offering this Premier Retirement Roadmap. Just a simple conversation with you and Jeff to put you on a path towards a prosperous retirement. Now, it doesn't cost you anything. 
and there is no obligation whatsoever. This retirement roadmap consists of an income plan, investments to support the income plan, a tax plan, health care plan, and an estate plan, and we're offering it no cost and no obligation to you whatsoever. If you'd like to take advantage of this opportunity, call 520-780-9059. Phone lines are open. You can do it right now if you want, 520-780-9059. If you don't get a live person answering the phone when you call, it just means that we're on the line with another person. Leave your information there, just your name and your telephone number and the fact that you'd like to get this plan and uh, Shelly will give you a call back on the next business day. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this, 520-780-9059. You can also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online if you'd like at premret.com, P-R-E-M. R-E-T.com. And while you're there, tell us how you like the show. If you've got a suggestion for topics, we would love to hear from you. Jeff, time for a break. When we come back, we've got listener questions and more when Premier Retirement continues right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. This is Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan, and we're glad you could join us again this week. We've had a great conversation about the economy earlier. If you missed that, you'd like to hear the show all over again, simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. You'll find this show and many of our past shows to enable you to stay on a path towards a successful retirement. Okay, Jeff, let's dive into listener questions. We do this one every week, and if we use your question on the air, of course, we'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement road ahead. Our first question is Terry, who's listening to us in Tucson. And Terry writes, I'm in a quandary about how to invest $750,000 that's in my 401k. I'm 67 years old, retired, and I have not started taking Social Security just yet. What's the best way to preserve this money for the rest of my life that doesn't involve high fees? Well, Terry the fee weenie, I'm sorry. Um, Terry, <laughs> I knew you were going to say uh, that. Okay, fee weenies. You know, hey, it just depends. You know the best way to invest with, uh, preserve your money the rest of your life, it doesn't have high fees, just stick it in the bank. Oh, wait a minute. That has high fees. You know your bank has higher fees than probably anything? Why? It's because they sell your money to other people at 17% and they give you two or three or four. So, you know, let's not talk about fees. Why don't we talk about what you keep that matters? That's the only thing that matters. There's been study after study, Dalbar studies, Cerulean Associates. There's all kinds of studies in the market where they go back and look at people that had advisors and people that didn't have advisors. The advisors on average made somewhere between, depending on the survey you look at, 2% and 2.5% more compounded annual results than people that try to go on their own or just try to uh, uh, get out of fees. You know, if you want to, uh, you know, buy some safe stuff over at Vanguard, they've got low fees, but you're in charge of time in the market and trading, you know, between sectors and going into bonds or stocks if you want to do that. I mean, if you if you want zero growth and you just want low fees and safe, then buy CDs for the rest of your life. And that's easy. You can do that at your bank. No big deal. You don't have to bother yourself with the advisor. You don't have to bother them. They don't have to charge you a fee. So if you want 
additional, you know, a fiduciary looking at your situation and offering products that you can't get at a bank, like private equity funds that we've done that are proprietary, like proprietary uh, products that have indexes of indexes that go up when the market goes up without the market going down. And the average margin on that is less than 1%. I guess that's not high fees. And I don't know what you consider high fees. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of taking this approach with you, but it's interesting how many people, you know, still want the advice and the, all the benefits of having an advisor, but they don't want to pay for it. So if you don't, well, then do your own research and do it. That's fine. But if you want to be led to products and services that may actually, uh, you could use an advisor kind of to broker, be an agent for some products, like the uh, insurance products I talk about quite often, you know, either the company either pays the agent a commission, so it's not really a fee on your part, but now you have to let the company who manages your money stay in business, just like a mutual fund, you know, charges about 1% management fees, Uh, an insurance company, they want to make their half to 1%. And, you know, if they use their uh, marketing budget to repay me for sending them a client, that doesn't really come out of your money. So you could, you know, still use my services to, you know, have me broker a a product, so to speak, and have your money sit safe. And you don't really have to do a lot of management with it, but the insurance company protects it for you. So that might be a way to preserve it that you might want to look at. And typically the the margins for an insurance company are in on the low end, a little under 1% and on the high end, maybe two or 3%. But if you look at variable insurance products, you're probably looking at anywhere from three to 5% if you add up all the fees involved. So I would stay away from anything that's called variable, even buffered in index stuff is really variable. So if you ever hear that buzzword, it might appear that you're not paying a fee for it, but you really are internally. There's also a lot of transactions that go along in the back room of a lot of financial institutions where maybe the advisor says, oh, I'm not charging you a fee. Believe me, they're all getting paid. We're all getting paid. We all make a living doing this or we get a different job, right? So keep in mind, if you use somebody that is in the business there is a fee, whether it's upfront and shown to you on the front page of the prospectus or somewhere in the 800 following pages of the prospectus, there are fees involved in everything you buy. The bottom line is, are those fees worth it? I know people that use hedge fund managers that charge them 4% just to manage the money plus a portion of the profits, like 10% of the profits. So he makes you 10% that year, you pay him four, plus they get 10% of the profits, which would be another 1%. So you end up making five, but maybe they have a really uncanny ability to protect assets. They've got access to certain asset mixes and classes that you can't get on Wall Street or through a mutual fund or through your bank. And you know maybe you've got a billion dollars so you can utilize these people and they will charge you an arm and leg, but these people think there's some value or they wouldn't have advisors or hedge fund managers that charge more than 1% or 2% or 3% for fees and do profit sharing as well. And by the way, when you lose money, they don't share in the losses. They don't give any money back. In fact, if you have a really bad loss year and you have a rebound year like last year, you wouldn't get any participation in the loss in 2022 if it was some market correlated and you'd end up having to pay a big chunk of the uh, gains in 2023 back to where that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing. I agree. You should not pay high fees if you're not getting a high level of service or access to a very good product or service that you cannot get on your own without a fee. So again, weigh the odds. If it's all about fees, it's your fee weenie. If it's not all about fees, but if it's about fees that make sense because you're really only worried about what you keep that matters and you get the level of safety that you want, then fees really shouldn't matter. You're not a fee weenie. You're a potential client of ours because uh, you know we're going to put you in assets that are according to your risk tolerance, what you want to accomplish, and according to how much is the potential net rate of return to you. 
Terry, we appreciate that question. It was a rather limited question right there. I'm sure there are more details to that. So we invite you to call Jeff at 520-780-9059. Sit down with him and discuss your individual situation. Once again, Terry will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. Okay, Jeff, next question. Diane listening to us in Casa Grande, and she says, I'm wondering about robo-advisors. I've noticed that Vanguard has Vanguard Digital Advisors, Fidelity offers Fidelity Go, and Schwab offers Schwab Intelligent Advisors. Each offers more or less automatic rebalancing diversifications within the account. These accounts seem to be designed for wealth accumulation, but I wonder how they would stack up for decumulation. Rather than constantly moving money from one bucket to another, they can simply make the withdrawal and let Schwab Fidelity or Vanguard manage and rebalance. What, if any, are your thoughts on using robo-advisors to spend down retirement savings? Well, you know, robo-advisors, I, I get a lot of clients that have used tried to use robo-advisors and just not happy. So, I mean, I, just based on my feedback, it doesn't seem, it seems like there are enough people not happy with it that I'm getting clients from it. So I applaud uh, Schwab, Fidelity, and Vanguard to start robo-advisors because I'm getting more clients now than I was when people are just buying and holding and writing out. So uh, you can rebalance, or if you have an advisor, I mean, we, re- we rebalance you know, automatically every so often, every time there's a, a change in direction or every uh, few months, if we've got a few stocks or ETFs that have you know gone kind of wacko good we want to you know take some of those profits off the table if we got some that just aren't really making it hey we want to you know maybe uh, try to fish the bottom if it's in a cyclical you know downswing so there are reasons to rebalance that you can actually use a person to do and uh, and pay a fee and be probably just as well off as uh, paying a fee the other thing i've noticed is that sometimes these institutions the robo advisor will say oh well the robo advisor is only half a percent and your advisor is one or one and a half but then they use uh, mutual funds and other things that have sometimes funds of funds that have layered fees to where they're still making one or 2%, where you're really not getting a, a bang for your buck. And in this case, you should be a fee weaning when you look at, uh, you know, pulling back the layers of the onion. By the way, fee weaning is a term of endearment around here. Don't be offended. Yeah, yeah. But, but it just means you're focused more on fees than your own self. And, and that's not a good thing. But if you're not getting value for it, it's the smart thing to do. You got to focus on fees if it's costing you money. I think the robo-advisors may actually be costing you money. The other thing is, is the robo-advisors are set up to be mostly in accumulation, like you said, kind of growth, basically rebalance to take advantage of, you know, downswings in the market. As long as you're putting money in, these auto robo-advisors might, you know, feel good for you because you think you're getting a little bit extra service for the money that you're paying. But if you're decumulating and the market's down, those robo-advisors don't necessarily get you out of the market. They don't go straight to bonds or straight to a cash account or into a CD at 4% for a year or two while the market gets better. Those robo-advisors can't time the bottom of the market any more than anybody can. You know, you can look backwards and do it pretty good. I mean, shoot, you know, if I could look backwards, I say, hey, man, you know, even though there's no fundamental support in the market, I think it's going to go up because the Fed's going to lower some interest rates again and people who have tons of extra money are going to buy stocks. Let's, let's buy it January 1 of 2023. I mean, yeah, I could go back and say, heck yeah, we're all in. But, you know, there weren't a lot of uh, fundamentals that supported that, nor would, you know, some sort of a robo-advisor that looks at fundamentals would have got in in January 1 either. It's not like they timed the market. Nobody can do that. Even a robo-advisor cannot do that. They just rebalance and kind of ride the thing out. So if you're taking money out, even a robo-advisor would have been down last year. You would have locked in losses. And in the decumulation phase, those losses would have never been made up, whether it's a robot or a person, unless you didn't take any money out, right? Because whatever you took out, you spent, you locked in those losses, and that money is no longer in your account because you spent it. 
So in the decumulation phase, I really don't like anything with risk or volatility associated with it. That should not be the money you use for your daily activities and your monthly bills and so forth. It should be done with things that are principal protected so that you always have a place to get money that doesn't go down. And if you can make, you know, three, four, five, six percent on that stuff and uh, not lose money, or your worst case scenario is a zero when the market's down, then maybe you diversify into that money you want to decumulate, which is more safe money, and that money that you want to wait on, like the robo-advisor, or just hire an advisor and have somebody look at your accounts that can rebalance when you're ready and can make recommendations on what accounts to take the money out of. So, you know, to some people, just having a robo-advisor and not having the stress of actually having to deal with other people might be easy or seem good for you. I just think if all you've got is a Schwab, Fidelity, or Vanguard account, then you know, you're probably all in only Wall Street stuff because that's all they sell. And that means you're going to always be at risk. And by the way, we've learned that bonds have just as much risk as the stock market. In fact, bonds are still down 10 to 20%, even with the market rebound. So you know, bonds are still getting hammered. If you owned bonds two years ago, you're still down a lot more than even the stock market if you wrote it out. So my opinion is, you know, be smart, diversify, not just into stocks and bonds or just all those things that have risk, diversify into things that don't have risk so that you can have a decumulation plan that doesn't blow your plan up in five or 10 years or 20 years. And, you know, especially if you have 30 years left of retirement lifetime. So Wall Street's great accumulation over time. If you have time and you don't need to use the money, but it's not a really good decumulation place, in, in my opinion, just based on history, it just doesn't work for decumulation at all. Diane, I hope that answers your question. Thank you so much for listening to us in Casa Grande. And, uh, of course, you'll be getting Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Okay, Jeff, next question, Frank and Rita Ranch. And Frank says, I'm 65 and in good health, and my wife, who's 63, is also in good health. I'll be retiring in about 18 months and would like to know if I should buy life insurance to ensure my wife's financial future. The term policy that we bought expired about five years ago. We still have a small mortgage and less than $100,000 in savings. So what do you think about Frank and life insurance? You know, I mean, I talk about all the time, LERPs, life insurance retirement plans. You know, I don't know that you need the life insurance necessary to ensure your family future. If you don't have any savings, then yeah, it'd probably be nice, especially if you've got a pension, you're going to be losing a ton of money if you die. The term policy you had was probably great to pay off the house or do things while you work or maybe, you know, get one of you to retirement. But then what? You know, if you died early, you lose at least one of your Social Security paychecks, whichever one is smaller. And if you're not already on Social Security, you plan to be on it in 18 months, then part of that money is going to be gone. So, you know, it depends. I mean, do you really need the income replacement? Do you have a pension or some other source or annuity that pays you a certain amount of uh, income that will continue if you die? Then maybe your wife will be in good health. Maybe she'll be fine if you uh, pass away. So it kind of depends on what's the lifestyle that you want to leave her. And by the way, if you have a decent amount of savings, there's a lot of people that have insurance and they've got a few million dollars in savings that are going to be easily to make up the difference between the lifestyle you leave now and the lifestyle you leave if one of you passes early. So you may or may not need to go to that expensive life insurance. But again, if you do have excess savings and you want to create a very efficient way to retire and to retire with tax-free income and leave your spouse some extra income to live on tax-free, I love the LERP. So you can actually decrease your taxes while you're both alive. You can decrease the taxes after you're gone by handing off to your spouse a death benefit that would uh, carry her on for several years. And that death benefit is tax-free as well. So, you know, when you die, you're 
your spouse is most likely going to go into a higher tax bracket because a single taxpayer pays higher taxes at a lower level than a married couple does. The brackets change. So if you want to do something that's really healthy for you while you're alive and even probably more healthy and more beneficial if you should pass away early and you're trying to take care of your wife. And again, this comes back to, are you healthy? And if you're not healthy, you could set this up in your healthy wife's name and she could have continued lifetime income forever with assets that you may want to put into that. So again, you're in good health now. Sounds to me like you're both doing well, but you should look at an income plan and just see if any tax-free income would make your life better and see if the alert might kill two or three birds with one stone, not just your income, tax-free income during your life, but a death benefit should you or one of you die early. Not only that, but it creates a terminal illness benefit, a long-term care benefit, and covers those bases as well. So it's a multifaceted product. It's like term insurance only on, you know, multiple levels of steroids. And, you know, we're kind of like a Roth too when it comes to income and investment growth. So don't say, hey, I'm too old. I don't need insurance anymore. It may be beneficial to you whether you need that death benefit or not. And in many ways, probably worth looking at the options. Frank, thanks for listening to us in Rita Ranch. And of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. If you've got a question you'd like us to answer on the air, we would be happy to consider that. All you've got to do to get it to us is to go to primret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Send it to us from the contact page if we use it on the air. Of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Also, if you've got a question for us here, you've got a comment about the show, maybe there's a topic that we haven't talked about that you'd like to have discussed on the show. Again, you can get it to us by going to the contact form at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. We would love to hear from you. You're listening to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Once again, if you'd like your complimentary retirement roadmap, you can get it no cost, no obligation, 520-780-9059. Request it online at premrat.com. Jeff, you have talked a lot about LERPs on this radio program. Of course, our last question was about life insurance. I want to expand on that a little bit and talk about riders that people may not be aware of. Life insurance, of course, is much more than just a death benefit. There are riders such as the Accelerator death benefit rider, long-term care rider, guaranteed insurability rider, and disability income rider. How do you pick or choose the riders that are right for someone if they want a life insurance policy? Well, first of all, riders are an add-on, so typically will cost money. Some companies include some without cost or some dumbed-down version of it without cost and maybe an expensive version of it if you want to pay for it. Now, there's two things about insurance that you have to distinguish. One is death insurance. That's the part you make somebody rich when you die. And there's the life insurance, which is all the benefits you get from owning it and from using those riders while you're alive. So I'll talk about a few. One is I'll say the two that in all cases I like to make sure is in the in the policy, and that is terminal illness and chronic illness. Terminal illness is, let's say you buy a policy, and by the way, most of my clients come to me because they're getting ready to retire. They've already got assets. They're ready to, uh, let's see how to make this money last for the next 20 or 30 years as long as I live. And I don't necessarily need a death benefit, Jeff, but how can I utilize life insurance to make sure that all the contingencies that I might not be covering are covered? For example, you might have some very heavy final expenses. You get diagnosed with an illness. You have a lot of expenses. You've got a million dollar life insurance policy. Guess what? You can actually use about 90% of that death benefit while you're alive for different costs and care. 
You can also use it for chronic illness. If you go to a nursing home for 90 days or if you need, uh, if you can't do two activities of daily living and you want somebody to, activities of daily living are like, you know, cooking, dressing yourself, uh, going to the bathroom, you know, things like that. Activities of daily living that are necessary to, for somebody to be independent, to live independently. If you can't do two of those, then the trigger would be met for most of these chronic illness riders. But be sure you get the rider that does have that trigger in it so that you know that you can get that money, whether you go to a nursing home or not, but just as long as you need some sort of care. That way you can have Meals on Wheels bring you meals. You have people come in and check your medicine, check your vitals, make sure you do some therapy and you know, move around a little bit. You can have some in-house care for certain days when you need it and you know certain times of the day that you need it. So chronic illness, uh, there's variations of that, but that's important. If you had a LERP life insurance type retirement plan, it would cover those things, terminal illness, things when you're alive. Now, if you're planning on just funding a life insurance policy so you have a big death benefit because you want to create a legacy for children or a spouse, that's fine. But most of my clients use LERPs, life insurance retirement plans, for the life insurance part of it. Let's just say a million dollar life insurance policy. Let's say you stuff $800,000 into it. You say, wow, I just pretty much bought my own life insurance. Well, right, you pretty much did. But guess what? As that $800,000 grows, so does the life insurance death benefit grow. But in order to play this game, you only have to buy about $200,000 worth of life insurance. Why? Well, because $800,000 is your money. And if that $800,000 grows at 6%, so you make $48,000, but you have to pay for $200,000 of life insurance and you're 70. And that policy, you know, might cost you 2000 bucks a year if you bought a term policy. So you make 48,000, but you pay 2000 to the cost of insurance. You're netting 46, $47,000. But guess what? You don't take it out because you'll have to pay tax on the gains. What you do is you let it continue to push that death benefit ahead of itself and you borrow money against your tax-free death benefit. So you borrow that money and you get to live on it. Why? You're spending your death benefit during your life. That is truly life insurance. And as that account grows, you're not actually taking money out of that account because remember, it just stays in there and grows. You're borrowing against the death benefit that continues to grow and continues to grow and compound. And pretty soon that $800,000 that you bought becomes, let's say $2 million in death benefit, which means you can borrow $2 million. This is just estimate. This is not a fixed number because it depends on your insurability, the age you start, health questions and, and different things. But very commonly, you can take two to three times out of alert and you don't take it out. I should say you could borrow two to three times what you put in over a course of retirement and still leave a little bit in there for, let's say that two or $300,000 that I told you that you're buying the insurance a little bit above the 800000 you put in and the million you started with. Well, eventually that's going to be worth $2 million on cash value and you'll have a $2,200,000 death benefit. Well, let's say you bar- already borrowed the $2 million. Well, what now? Well, you still have $200,000 that you can use for a terminal illness on the last year of your life, or you can use to cover a lot of long-term care. And you know that would take care of a big chunk. So some people say, okay, well, can this thing blow up? Well, if you borrow too much against your death benefit and your account doesn't grow, it could blow up. So here's another rider that you should have. You should definitely have over loan provision rider. In other words, if you borrow too much money and you get ahead of yourself, they're not going to say, oh, your policy is canceled. All that money you took out now becomes a withdrawal and you have to pay tax on the million dollars more that you took out because you only put $800,000 and you took out $1.8 or $2 million. So you have to have overloan provisions. That's a rider. And you know there's, there are some, if you get them a little bit younger and you're still working, like you said, there's a disability uh, insurance rider where if you get disabled, you can also tap some of that benefit, kind of like the long-term care benefit, the chronic illness or some sort of a disability where you can't work. But again, depending on why you're buying the insurance, if you load it up with riders that cost money, beware that it's going to be cut out of that income that you make on your invested dollars. 
you're basically buying a money machine here. And depending on how much fuel and extras you want to put on your vehicle, it could cost you a lot or it could cost, be really lean. Um, if you want the basic model car because it's going to get you from A to B and cost you the less to run, well, then you can buy that model. But if you want to add riders to it, depending on what else you want to accomplish, you might find out that those riders are a lot cheaper than buying a disability policy, way cheaper than buying a long-term care policy that you're going to lose if you don't actually go to a long-term care facility. Whereas with the LERP, you're going to get the balance of your account back when you die tax-free to you or your heirs anyway. So it's more of a no-lose proposition. And there's a lot more flexibility in how you use those riders. So, you know, I really love LERPs. I love them for the income, the tax-free income. And let's just say you're taking, you've got that $800,000 in there and you'll say you're taking 50,000 in loans against your future death benefit and you do that for 30 years, that's 1.5 million in actual spendable money you can basically spend of your death benefit at a very low cost compared to a lot of other investments and you didn't pay tax on a dime of that. How much would your IRA have to be worth to get a net of about $1.5 million in spendable money? it'll be close to $2.5 million. So if you can grow your that $800,000 and guarantee that it could be worth $2.5 million over the next 30 years, and there's no volatility in the market, that's going to be hard to do. But you've got to have a lot of growth at kind of unprecedented success rates and no volatility in order to beat a 5 or 6% rate of return in a tax-free account where you borrow against your death benefit. So I love LERPs. I like the idea of life insurance in retirement for healthy people that want to either enhance their uh, income, reduce their taxes, and not have to buy that use it or lose it long-term care policies and have a few benefits that are add-ons without having to go to the extra expense of buying them. Well, Jeff, now I understand why you love LERPs and we should too. Life insurance is not just a death benefit. It can solve a whole host of other problems. If you're listening to the program today, you'd like to sit down with Jeff, talk about your individual path towards retirement and maybe how LERPs might be a part of that path. Again, we're offering a no-cost, no-obligation consultation with Jeff. We call it the Retirement Roadmap. It's just a short consultation with Jeff to put you on the path towards a successful retirement. Also give you a chance to answer your individual questions. Now, there's no cost for this. There is no obligation whatsoever. We're not going to call you back every week and say, are you ready to come in again? Are you ready to come in again? Doesn't work that way. I think when you sit down with Jeff, you have that conversation. You'll be motivated to do what's in your best interest, and that will be to continue that conversation to see where it might lead you. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this. 520-780-9059 is the number to call. You can do it this weekend. Again, if you don't get an answer, it just means we're talking to somebody else. Leave your information and Shelly will give you a call back on Monday, 520-780-9059. You can also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, out of time for this week. Thank you so much for your time, but I want to thank our fine listeners here in the greater Tucson area for joining us. For Jeff Vogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes 
only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.